And already we're seeing kind of how weird Season 5 is going to be. Because all of Season 5 is going to carry the same theme about it. The theme of trying something new while still being pulled back on the reins at the same time. In other words, they'll be like, oh, let's try this new idea. And then someone in charge, I think you know who at this point, I think I've said his name enough times, is going to be like, no, no, let's stick with the status quo. And then they'll be like, well, let's try something new. Nah, status quo. Try something, nah, status quo. This is a good example of that. There's a lot of really good stuff in this episode. And a lot of face-palming stuff, too. But let's just go down the list, shall we? So, the original intention was to call, come up with this Terminator Borg. In other words, you know, this unstoppable machine. Like in Terminator 1, you know, much more of a horror movie aspect than the action film uh, kind of a thing that they did in Terminator 2. The idea was to have, you know, this unstoppable one drone that just could not be stopped. And Kong, Kong, Kong. They rejected that for a number of reasons. I actually agree with that. Uh, while that's an interesting concept in theory, the way the Borg work don't actually fulfill that concept unless you're going to have a bad ending, uh, which would work. You know, it would actually be trying something new, but then they came out with a unique idea. 29th century Borg. <laughs> so I've talked before about ridiculous premise to get to a good idea. This is a really really dumb premise. And a lot of things in the episode happen purely to try and push the plot along to the character elements. You can tell how much uh, influence Joe Minoski had in this particular episode, because the character elements of this episode are actually really good, and in fact it's probably the reason I still enjoy this episode to this day. But the rest of it is ridiculous. <laughs> like, okay. So, a transporter malfunction causes stray nanoprobes to be transmitted from Seven of Line 9 to the uh, the mobile emitter, which assimilates the mobile emitter and then turns that into a 29th century Borg with all sorts of incredibly advanced tech, and it's... Dead. Yeah, it's dumb. I'm just going to say it. It's dumb. It's a dumb premise. But they do do something with it. Because that's what they wanted. They wanted this 29th century Borg. And, um... Uh... I guess that's all I really have to say about that, but why don't I talk right now about why this is simultaneously trying something new and holding back on the reins. A 29th century Borg presents a wonderful opportunity for the show. Really, even if they've kept him on just as a guest star status, but they might have actually been able to bring him on as a new main character. I mean this sincerely. Think about this for a moment. And from a real-life perspective, this is feasible because Voyager had flagship status with the network. If, to summarize what that means, and it means that if you want to hire a new cast member because you think it'll help with the ratings, you're probably going to get an okay on that, whereas most shows have to really, really fight in order to have anything uh, expanded in their budget. So having this 29th century Borg, that's a huge window of opportunity. All of a sudden, you can keep the Borg as a recurring antagonist for Voyager without it getting ridiculous or silly. Which, if you've watched Voyager, you know that's exactly what happened. I mean, the, the next, uh, I think, two times? That's off the top of my head. But there's a couple more episodes with the Borg that are actually pretty good. But the quality level just kind of tapers off, and it's obvious why. It's the frickin' Borg! There's only so many times the Voyager crew can defeat such an overwhelming foe before it loses all impact and the Borg themselves lose all impact. So, 
having this 29th century Borg would enable that window to stay open without it getting too ridiculous, giving them a necessary edge to take out the Borg. They could have done a whole story arc. This is why I say the guest star thing. Have have the next several episodes of Borg episodes, you know, ha have him be in the in the crew for like most of the season, basically. Helping them and having character moments. Because, you know, Joe Minoski loves his character moments and he's really good at them. I'll talk about those in a bit. And having him, you know, getting closer to the crew and becoming more of his own individual person, just like Seven does, you know, kind of a truncated version of Seven's arc. But then, of course, uh, there's a big climactic clash with the Borg towards the end of the season. And that's when this future Borg finally sacrifices himself in order to save the crew. And the crew get to move on uh, much lesser for the experience. Huh? Now... A lot of this is, of course, me just spitballing, but there's some decent information behind the scenes, especially with regards to how the episodes were being written at this point in time, that this is at least vaguely the idea they were going with. They wanted to keep the Borg as a recurring villain. They wanted to have something to equalize the difficulty between the two, and they wanted to have the Borg then taper off over time. Now, obviously, there was some executive meddling and some screwed up and holding back on the reins, as I already demonstrated that prevented this from happening. I'm curious what you guys would have thought if, if they'd actually gone forward with that idea. Um, there's a later episode... Uh, I forget which one it is. It's, it, I think it's the Uni Unimatrix uh, is the name of the episode. It's the one where they go into the dream realm in the Borg. Uh, that should have been basically the climax of the Borg story arc. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, for those of you who don't, we'll discuss it when we get there. But based on that and the way that the Borg arc was progressing until then, you know, you see where I'm going with this? So let's let's go ahead and fast forward, though. Obviously, we didn't get that. So instead, what we get is Seven practicing in front of a mirror to do facial expressions. I like that. Speaking as someone who has, you know, when I was a lot younger, suffered from social anxiety problems, speaking as someone who knows a lot of people who suffer from social anxiety... And, and it's not even just a social anxiety thing, really. It, it, a lot of people have reason to stand in front of a mirror and, and practice, you know? It's, it's not as uncommon as you'd think. It actually irritates me every time I see some kind of common television or, or, or media or whatever saying, how, how, oh, look at this weirdo, how, look at this loser practicing his expressions in front of the, in front of the mirror. And no, that's just a person, thank you very much. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. But I like the simple humanity of it, for lack of a better term. I also like the fact that they decided to put a breadcrumb into this episode. Uh, for those of you who don't really know what that means, it's something that they were already thinking in, the, in a new direction. By the way, this is more fuel to the fire for my theory. Excuse me. I'm trying to get comfortable in my chair. Um, more fuel to the fire for my theory. They were already thinking several episodes ahead. They already knew the next episode was going to be Extreme Risk and working on the Delta Flyer. So they decided, while they were working on this episode, to toss in a little breadcrumb of, why don't you go ahead and make a new shuttle? Okay, maybe I will. Nice little tidbit there. Nice little lead-in. Also, this is a five-minute teaser. I, I didn't write down the actual seconds because my timer thing was screwed up, but five minutes! That's insane. That, this isn't the longest teaser in the history of Star Trek. There's been some long ones, but I was just astonished by that. I actually honestly thought I had just kind of skipped over the end of the teaser thing, and all of a sudden, and it goes... Dun -dun -dun, and then I see, you know, one, and I'm like, wait a minute. Or drone, excuse me, drone. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> we fi we're finally done with the, with the teaser? There's some good, very human interaction uh, at several points in this episode. I'm just going to kind of nail them really quick. Uh, the way Harry and Chakotay interact, that's some good stuff. Uh, the idea that Harry enjoys being in the command seat, even for just something mundane as overnight duty, 
That makes sense, and I like that. And it speaks to a character arc that should have frickin' happened and never did about maybe Harry going down the officer's track. Uh, they did a very truncated version of this over in TNG with uh, Troy, of all people. And they did something with that kind of... Uh, with a few other characters in DS9, kind of. It was mostly off-camera, off but the point remains, it was a nice idea, and they should have done something with it, and they didn't. Um, but it was still some good human interaction in this episode. Similarly, I really like the way Neelix interacts with One. I know that sounds weird, but, I mean, by this point, we've officially gotten past the point where Neelix is senior dumbass, and instead is actually, you know, a decent character, and so, hey, you know, the way he talks with one, the way he dances around the topic of, you know, the, the fear and the horribleness of his situation, yet at the same time trying to be reassuring, it pretty much hits that perfect note of what Neelix should be, in my opinion. So, so that was definitely some good stuff there. Now, I, I'm sorry, I, I gotta point this out, because this episode, I, I like this episode. I do, I, I enjoyed rewatching it quite a bit, but why does it take everyone so long to notice that the entire science lab has been assimilated by the frickin' Borg? Why, with with all the sensors they have, including, I just feel like pointing out, the fact that they regularly scan the brains of everyone on board. <laughs> I know that's not related to Science Lab, but that just gives you an idea of how much they regularly scan things on their own ship. That's in more than one episode, by the way. With all that level of internal security, <laughs> why is it it took them, the, took them so long to realize that there was a Borg assimilation thing going on in the Science Lab? And if you think that's stupid, then Senor Dumbass, uh, not Neelix, uh, Ensign um, Hockey or whatever, they say his name a few times, um, which is funny because he has no lines, I don't think. He has like two or three lines. Um, but anyways, he, show, he, he walks into a lab where there's this green glow and, every, and there's this weird technology and it's going vroom, vroom. And his reaction is to pull out his track card and go, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. Let me just get up here and expose my neck to the, oh no, it got me, what a total shock. I'm sorry, I'm being exaggerative, but really, <laughs> really? What's funny is so many times in Star Trek, we'll see someone look into a room, see something unusual, and immediately say, you know, person to security. <laughs> immediately. This is across multiple shows. They did this in the original series. But no, see, the Ensign Idiot just walks in and is like, oh, I wonder what's in here. Mm, I guess they totally redid the entire science lab overnight while I was sleeping. Oh, well, I'll just take a few readings. Oh, my God, it's got me. I just wanted to smack him. Again, this is part of why this episode is stupid, and why they, they basically... Because this is Joe Minoski's mindset in a nutshell. I've, I've shared this before. I've talked about this before. Remember the episode um, uh, Concerning Flight with, uh, with Leonardo da Vinci? Joe Minoski's thing is, look, technobabble, and then he's on the planet. Nobody cares how. Nobody cares why. Nobody cares about continuity or canon or how things work. Just get to the good stuff. Well, this, this is this is this episode in a nutshell. He's just like, here, just... Okay, there's a 29th century Borg. Now we can do the good stuff. But in defense of Joe Minoski, the good stuff is good. Like I said, there's some really great interactions between one and everyone. The gentleman, I wrote his name down, uh, J. Paul Bomer. Bomer? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, he does a great job of, of playing one. He's the guy who played the ridiculously evil Nazi back in the killing game. The guy who actually had no name. The guy who convinced the Herosian in order to go on a killing spree because of how horrible and base 
that, that we are and we embrace our evil nature. That guy, you remember him? That's the same actor. He does a really good job of one here. He hits the perfect blend of Borg, but yet polite, and yet the Pinocchio thing with trying to understand his humanity, and yet at the same time trying to adapt to unusual circumstances and being able to be a badass when necessary. He hits a lot of different emotional points across the episode. This is another reason I feel like maybe they should have stretched it out rather than just squished it in, because it feels like his character arc is just... <clears throat> It's it's very intense. It's like oh, and then this 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 and then he's dead. Oh, spoiler alert! And then he's dead. It would have been and I mean it still works. The pacing is good. The, the character elements are good. The evolution of it is good. I like the way he interacts with Janeway. That scene really was just awesome for me. His genuine earnestness and her just oh you're wonderful and it's amazing and the insistence on telling him what the Borg is and his own understanding of the Borg and his own admiration of the Borg when coupled with the idea of you know, well, I, 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 this idea of the collective is fascinating, and the, and the idea of experiencing that, that's something I want, but I recognize that to do so would jeopardize all these people that I have come to value over the last day, or however long it's been. So, you know, I am unwilling to take that risk. You know, he hits a lot of those great points. Great job there. I also like the idea, uh, there's one other thing I like, I like the blind leading the blind thing. This will actually come up again later, when uh, when Seven is in charge of the Borg children, uh, which we'll talk about whenever that happens. I believe that's season five, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but either way, that's later from now. Um, the Borg children, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but it's, it's the same idea, the blind leading the blind. Seven herself, who at this point has effectively completed the first arc of her character, and is like, oh, okay, I, w I will deal with you, I will take care of you, and is still in, in many ways denial of the true nature of her reality, of how she is and what she is. Uh, two, two other thoughts I want to toss out there really quick. First of all, isn't it an insidious idea of trying to assimilate in the way Bolana suggests? Let me explain what I mean. Put a single Borg drone somewhere in the you know, insert area here and make it helpless, make it, you know, hapless, give it individuality, all that stuff. Put one little thing in it that can be activated after a period of time of interaction with others that just calls the Borg in or something like that, or enables it to start assimilating them or something like that. The, the idea of insidious assimilation is one that I find fascinating. It's one of the reasons I'm very glad that the Borg don't have, you know, the concept of tactics or strategy, because if they did, they'd probably use that and they'd probably be winning a lot more. I mean, think about it. What what are you what are you going to do? How are you going to do? You know, Borg cube shows up. Oh God! Throw all our defenses at it. Single Borg drone. Well, maybe we could learn from it. Either because we're the idealistic federation, we're trying to do the best we can, or because we want to use it to try and use it, weaponize it against the Borg. Either way, we take in a Borg drone, which would then be the end of the game, if you understand. So it's a rather insidious little idea there. But it can get even more insidious than that. How about a drone who they find? who they go ahead and accept in their society, just like they did with Seven. And then they find another drone, and then another one. And slowly, bit by bit, they have this much more long-term, shall we say, cultural assimilation uh, of the ship, rather than trying to literally assimilate them. Anyways, um, let's also talk about a weird colliery, or corollary in this episode. They, I, I don't know if this was deliberate, because I've never picked up on this before, but as I was watching it, their word choice was very specific. They were very clearly, uh, the way they talked about it, he sounded like an unplanned birth. 
you know, a, a child that a woman did not intend to get pregnant by. I'm not talking about like being forced or anything. Like I'm, you know, two married people or whatever, or two people who are together, and she ends up pregnant, and that was not planned. That was not intended. And a lot of the way they act is similar to how that situation tends to go. Having seen that in my own life several, several times now, where there's that, oh God, and what are we going to do? But that's a good thing, but, but it's stressful at the same time. You know, they really hit the ups and downs of that exact same idea. You are an accident, but that doesn't make you any less special. You are something that we did not plan, that was not you know, intended to be, and yet we still care about you. We still want you around. You now are. You are unique. You are you. You know, they hit, and, and of course, it is something that is a, a source of a great deal of stress and negativity for many people, just like a, a brand new baby is, planned or otherwise. And yet, at the same time, it's something that everyone views as a, as a positive thing, net positive thing, despite all the negativity involved. So, I, I just thought that was an interesting corollary. I'm curious what you guys uh, picked up on that one. I really, I mentioned that already. <laughs> um, there was some, there's some good bookends. In the beginning of the episode, Seven is staring into the mirror, practicing her own expressions. At the end of the episode, she's staring into the mirror, trying very hard not to cry. Very good bookend there. Um, and the last line, earlier on, you know, she says, you must comply, you are hurting me, and he stops. And that also is the last thing that the two exchange with each other. You must comply, you are hurting me. And his last lines to her are, you will adapt. That's some powerful stuff. I, I don't have anything else to add to that. I, that th those lines just hit me uh, every time I hear them. And now I'm out of positive things to say. I've got a couple more things to say, though. Why did one have to die? Let's analyze the situation tactically for a moment. Let's rewind, actually, a bit. Because, first of all, Voyager puts in one of the most pathetic showings I've ever seen against the Borg, or indeed anyone. Their tactic involves sitting there, and then once the Borg have them in a tractor beam, hoping that their ace in the hole gets them out of the hole. Bad analogy, but you get the idea. No attempt at maneuvering. No attempt at escaping. No attempt at anything. They just sit there and wait for the Borg ship to show up. Huh? That, that strikes me as so many levels of wrong that I don't, I don't even really, really feel the need to deconstruct it. Um, <laughs> they also try to attack the Borg ship once. <laughs> Mind you, this is a Borg sphere. Granted, the second time we've ever seen a sphere, actually, after first contact, but still something that is lesser than a cube, and that's understood even at this point in time. And yet, they're just like, eh, oh, well, the Borg are coming. I guess resistance really was futile, because they just tying out, hoping that their pet Borg would defeat the enemy for them, and he did, so that worked out. But what the hell, guys? But let's really analyze the tactics here, okay? He, is, he interfaces with the Borg Collective. The Borg Collective then become aware of not only the fact that he is a Borg, which is a priority thing in general, but he is a very advanced future Borg. Therefore, um, kind of like, you know, a, a giant bottle of endless liquor to an alcoholic. I mean, <laughs> the Borg would want him to the exclusion of all others. I could see the Borg literally sending wave after wave of hundreds of cubes trying to claim him. Because he would be so valuable. They could throw away trillions, well, not trillions, millions, excuse me, millions of, of drones trying to capture him because he would be so valuable to the Collective. And he naturally comments on that. I must die so that the Collective won't come after me. Um, so there's only two real circumstances here that are, that are possible. Number one, uh, the Collective thinks he died on the Sphere and therefore has no more interest in Voyager and therefore will not be coming after him, so his sacrifice is meaningless. Or, 
they know that he survived and was reclaimed by Voyager and therefore is on Voyager and therefore his sacrifice is meaningless because they're still going to come after Voyager no matter what. Because they don't know he actually died. They know that he got onto the ship. So they either know, so they either think he died and it's pointless or they think he survived and it's pointless. No matter what you think of it, his sacrifice was completely meaningless and it bugs the crap out of me. Why did he have to die? They could have saved him. At least it's implied they could have saved him. So, <laughs> I, oh, one, your death will not be in vain, except it totally is. I, I, I don't know what else to say to that. It's interesting because, again, it shows how they were trying something new. It's like, because th this is a step. This is another breadcrumb. The Borg are now aware of Voyager and their relative location. And we will see the Borg become much more prevalent in the, the, in the coming season and a little bit after that. So the Borg are returning to the to the front to the forefront because they kind of have been back. The Borg showed up in Scorpion, and then they've kind of had no presence up until now, with like one exception. But now the Borg are going to become the major recurring enemies again, and this episode let that happen. So that's trying something new, but then it's pulling back on the reins because they didn't actually do anything other than that. And they, they, there's only just the implication there that the Borg are now aware of Voyager, and that's why they keep being so interested in them. And yet, of course, one will never be mentioned again, because why? <laughs> that's just ridiculous. I like this episode. I do, but man, God, yeah. I'll see you guys next week, uh, where we'll be discussing another weird, good character, but weird otherwise episode. So, see you around, guys.